Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Logan campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. We're continuing our series this morning called A Better Story. So we're, we've been looking at this, this theme of this, this story called A Better Story, saying that, you know what, our society, our world has one story. You know, and yet God has a very different story. And, and we recognise all of how this story plays out in a whole lot of different ways. But I want to say to you this morning this, you're not normal. All right, I want you to turn to the person next to you. I want, to, I want you to lovingly and caring look at them and say, you're not normal. It's some way too enthusiastic people who just looked at their, their friend their wife or their husband or whatever, and just told them that they're not normal. You see, the reason I say that you're not normal is, is we all look around our society. We look around our world. And, and I don't know if you, as you talk to people that, that we live, work, laugh with, that we recognise that they're outside sometimes, out of their community or out of their family network, they struggle to have fine and find community. And yet I say that you're not normal because here you are this morning in our campus, very much loved and part of an important community that God is building. And so I say you're not normal because outside these walls, so many people are struggling to find a place of connection. They're struggling to find a place where they're cared for and valued, where, where they've got important things to say, where they can share the good times, but they can also share the hard times. And yet you're not normal because you sit in a community where you are loved, where you can share about the great moments, but you can also share about the really tough stuff of what is going on in your lives. I heard some stats this morning, and the statistics said this. this is, these are some current statistics coming out of 2020. And it said one in four young people considered suicide during 2020. It, on to, it went on to say that one in 10 adults considered suicide in 2020. In 2020, divorce rates went up 20%. In 2020, antidepressants went up 300%. See, I don't know about you, but, but as I look around our community, as I talk to people, as I, as I engage with people in the shops and my neighbours, I realise that so many people are isolated and so many people are really lonely. And maybe, you know, if you're honest with yourself this morning, maybe you feel a little bit like that this morning. You know, you're still part of a community, and yet maybe you feel a little bit lonely in the same time too. You see, I don't know if you realize, but we're more connected digitally than ever, and yet we're more lonely than ever than any other generation in history. And I don't know if you've noticed, but, you know, we live in a world that in the midst of increasing isolation, a lack of community and lack of connection. We're searching for ways to try and be part of a larger story. We're searching for ways to try and find meaningful connection and meaningful community. But rather than finding ways of coming together and listening to each other's ideas and thoughts of others, we are radically individualistic. We're radically individualistic in, in our outlook, which is causing us to become more fragmented than ever. See, rather than loving those that we disagree with, we simply unfriend, click them. Rather than our stories joining us together in some unifying story, we're allowing them to pull us apart 
Because we live in a society that is saying that you are the most important person ever to have walked the earth. And you are the most significant person. And in many ways, you can do everything that you need to do. And so you don't really need anyone else. Loneliness is an epidemic. It's far greater than COVID is or will ever be. And I don't know if you realize, but as we read the Bible, the first, the first uh, problem that we see in the Bible, the, the first problem that we see wasn't sin, but it was isolation. See, in Genesis chapter 2, we read, that, we read these words that God looked down on Adam because he was by himself at this point. And he looked down and he said these words, it is not good for man to be alone. See, from the very beginning of time, God said, you know what, it's not right, it's not, it's not proper for anyone to be in isolation. And yet we live in a world, we walked out of last year, that, and we had the authorities who were doing their very best that they could, but I remember when they came out and we, we began to talk about social isolation. And I remember as they began to talk about social isolation, social isolation there was something in me that, that said, you know what, I don't think that that's right. I mean, what, they, what they're saying is right, that we need to physically distance, but I'm not sure if we need to socially isolate that we need to pull back from everyone else. Next week, we go to one morning service. So welcome to the last 8 a.m. service for at least a little while. You know, next week, we go back to one morning, 9 a.m. service. And I'm really excited about being able to gather together, stick another 50 or 60 chairs in this room. And if you remember, you know, pre-COVID, those times where, where the gap between the seats was a whole lot squishier. You know, right now, just, just for a moment, just kind of put your feet out and just kind of do this one for a sec. Yeah, the last time you've been doing that for a little while, all right? And, and, and so next week, we go back to a nine o'clock service where we can all gather together. And we're doing that because, to be honest, the last eight months since coming back have been really difficult. And I, and I know they've been really difficult for you. They've been really difficult for me because what we've discovered is this. Over these last eight months, we've lost something. You know, we, we lost this sense of connection with other people. You know, we lost this, this sense of care. We lost the, this sense of warmth and welcome because we so found ourselves in this place where we kept hearing that we've got to be isolated. We're going to keep away from other people. We're going to keep them at a, at, a, at a distance from each other. And so somewhere in our mindset, we've not just done that physically, but we've done that emotionally. And we've done that spiritually. And so we sit here this morning still feeling a little bit uncomfortable about being gathered in a room together. So we're going back to one service because I want us to feel increasingly uncomfortable. And I say that because our world needs community. I say that because my neighbors need community. Your neighbors, the people who live, work, and laugh with, they need a place where they can belong. They need a place where they can be believed in. They need a place where they can find hope in the midst of interesting times. And so I'm really excited as we walk into this new season. We've been praying and seeking God and saying, God, what are you saying? We, we sense that God has been saying to a bunch of our campers is that it's a time of renewal. You know, as we come back together again, as we, as we look forward to what God is going to do. So we're looking at this morning, this idea of a new community. 
And so we're going to look this morning is, you know, it's, it's, it's a wrestle to kind of go, well, what are you, Dave, what are you talking about? What's this new community? Well, in Acts chapter 2, we find the picture of this brand new community that was birthed in changing times. And it was, it was the birth of the first church. And we don't know what the first church looked like. I mean, the reality is there's no you know, YouTube clip of the first church. There's, there's no photos that we can see. I mean, we don't know, you know, what, what, you know, there's no live streaming of that very first service that ever happened. You know, we don't know the stories they sang. I was thinking about during the week, you know, what stories they could have sang. I mean, it could have been Shout to the Lord. I mean, you know, that was a fairly popular one. You know, maybe it was Living Hope. You know, it's kind of one of our favorites. You know, maybe it was, uh, was 10,000 Reasons. Maybe they called it 100,000 Reasons. I don't know. You know, maybe it was Amazing Grace. I mean, that is a goodie. You know, maybe it was Jesus, lover of my soul. What about this one? Be thou art my vision. You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe it was one of those ones. It's some exciting, you know. We don't know what they sang. We don't know how long the pastor up the front preached for. I mean, was it 20 minutes? Was it 40 minutes? I mean, all we know is that Paul in, uh, in Acts chapter 20 preaches a sermon and there's a guy by the name of Eutychus and he's sitting next to a window and Paul happens to preach so long that Eutychus falls out the window and dies. Like that's an interesting day in church. So no one can ever complain ever again how much I talk, okay? I just want to say that unless you fall out a window and die, don't come and talk to me. All right, all right. You know, we don't know how long they preached. We don't know what they talked. Well, actually, we probably do know what they talked about. But we don't know what, what lighting they had or what colored walls they painted or what chair, whether they had pews or was it individual chairs. Or We don't know much about what they did. Because I don't think that all of that really matters. You see, Jesus had just died. And he'd been resurrected and we've seen him do a whole bunch of miracles. And then he stops with his disciples and he says, you know, he makes a declaration. He says, disciples, crew, what I'm going to do is I need to leave and I'm going to send someone. I'm going to send my helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit who's going to infill you and use you. So I've got to go so that he can come. And then it's like he drops the mic and he descends into heaven. And all the disciples are sitting there going, what just happened? Like they're all kind of they're scratching their head going, well, now what? Like, can you imagine that, like, that awkward moment where they were just looking at each other and going, was it, is it your fault or is it like, I, like, what do we do? Like, are you in charge? Am I in charge? Like, who's, I don't even know, what are we supposed to do? And so all we find is that for some reason they go to some upper room and there's the disciples there and there's a crew of other people who had seen Jesus and believed his teaching. And, and so they go to this upper room and, and they don't know what to do. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? They began to pray. And in the middle of praying, something incredible happens. And we now refer to it as the day of Pentecost. It was the day when the Holy Spirit came on a crowd of people and something powerful began to happen. And in that day and from that day forward. And what we find is just a few verses later, something so important begins. So what we're going to do is we're going to read from a couple of verses in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And it says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe as wonders, as many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers gathered together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who was in need. 
Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere heart, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Could you imagine? Imagine a moment. Imagine being in a community like that. Uh, I mean, imagine being in a community where, where you know, as we read through this, this, this passage, we, we see the Holy Spirit doing signs and wonders, and there was an incredible sense of unity. And there was, there was an outpouring of ridiculous and, 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 and just crazy generosity where, there was, where they, were, they were looking out for each other, and they were radically inclusive, and there was incredible worship and teaching and daily Daily, those were being saved. I mean, imagine, imagine being a part of a community like that. I, I mean, I don't know about you where you sit this morning, but that's kind of the community that I want to be part of. Like, I want to be part of something like that. I want to be part of a life-transforming community, world-transforming community, a new community that was to look like that. And in Acts chapter 2, we find this new community is birthed, a new way of doing things, and God is stirring something radical, something different that the world had yet to see because it was so segregated and divided, and yet here was a group of people who looked beyond all of the barriers and the borders, and they were called Christians. But I don't know if you recognize or realize, but the term Christian wasn't actually a term that they came up with themselves. Actually, where it came from is just over 2,000 years ago, there was a, a group of pagans, so non-Christians, who, who came up with this, this term, Christianos, which means little Christ. And it was never meant to be a badge of honor. It wasn't something that you could kind of sit there and go, yeah, I'm a Christian. In fact, what it was, actually, it was a derogatory term. It was kind of like a swear word. It was a way of them putting this new group of religious, passionate, crazy people down. It was their way of saying, you know what? You're scumbags and you can't even come up with your own ideas. You've kind of got to be followers, like, like, like kind of following this, this one called Christ, like little crazy sheep. And so you can't even, you're not smart enough to Come up with your own stuff, and so we're going to call you little Christs. And what was never meant to be an encouragement, what was never meant to be an affirmation, became for this new group of this new community a badge of honor. What was meant to be a derogatory, or a rude, or an offensive, or a swear word became something that was the unifying thing behind them. And yet, it was something that was never meant to be that. I mean, I remember when I was in school, we used to call people tryhards and wannabes. Did anyone ever call someone a try, tryhard or a wannabe? You're way too good because you love Jesus. And, 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 but I remember when I was in school, you know, it was, you know, a tryhard or a wannabe was someone who tried to be something else, but they weren't very good at it. You know, it was like, you really, really want to play footy, but you're rubbish. And so you're just a try-hard footy player. And so, you know, we used to call, I mean, I wouldn't because I would never call anyone anything like that, but other people used to. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and yet this was what they were trying to say. You know, you try-hards, you wannabes, you little Christianoses, you little Christs following along like lost sheep, the one called Christ. And yet, what was meant to be offensive 
was the thing that unified them. And they joined together. You see, you got to look at this brand new church. It was radical because it was radical because of this. There was Jews. But then there was also Gentiles, not Jews. And then there was those who were circumcised. And then there was those that weren't. And then there was those from different financial situations. There was those that lived in different communities and came from different countries. And there was different people that came from, from different backgrounds and different heritages and different things. And, and as, I, as I was writing this this week, I began to reflect and go, you know what? It's going to be like what I'm standing in front of right now. A group of people from a variety of different places, different backgrounds, different countries, Jew, Gentile, circumcised, uncircumcised. We won't go into that this morning. Uh, uh, Different financial situations, different communities, different ethnic backgrounds, and yet unified with one common thing. A love and a passion for Jesus. And a love and passion for people. And that was the community that began to form that we find in Acts chapter 2. It was a community that was, that was found around this idea and the concept of the mulligan. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, you needed to be here last week and you can listen to the podcast. Mulligan is a golfing term. And a mulligan is, is simply a do-over. And I said last week, uh, you know, a mulligan is, is, is when the one who pays the price determines who gets the grace. The one who pays the price. See, I was received a mulligan playing golf because not in my friend paid for golf and he decided that that golf stroke that I hit was rubbish, which it was. And he gave me the offer of a do-over. And I want to tell you again, I want to remind you again this morning that Jesus paid the price. And he alone gets to determine who gets the grace. And so this is the community, this new community that has been founded that we see in Acts chapter 2. And all of this was happening in the midst of great powerful and a great oppression and a powerful Roman Empire that was, that was, that was sitting under Threats of imprisonment and death. And this small community continued to grow as it shared the love and the story of Jesus until it completely revolutionized the world. And why do I say that? Because we're sitting in it this morning. See, it was begun by a group who was never meant to grow, who was up against all the odds and all the threats and the oppression. But Jesus was building something. And Jesus is still building something this morning. And Jesus was building something back then. And he's still building something here today. And Jesus wants to remind us again. He's still building something. And he's using you. And he's using me. And using us. To share the good news, the good news of the mulligan, the good news that Jesus offers a do-over to all. You see, we all know three things. I've got three points this morning, and we all know three things. We, firstly, we know we need connection. Secondly, connection happens in community. And thirdly, community requires action. But I was thinking about those three points this morning, uh, this week, sorry. I was, you know, we all need community. Community happens, sorry, connection happens in community and community requires action. I was thinking about those three points and, 
And I was reflecting on my family. I was reflecting on my three kids. And I want to, I want to share with us three principles that come from my three children about those three thoughts. And the first principle is this. To, to have community is a daily choice. See, at some point, inevitably, at probably multiple times during the week, one of my kids look at me and go, Dad, you're a bad dad. And generally they say that because of this. I've, I've taken a remote control and I've hidden it. Or I've taken, a, I've taken a PS4 controller and I've hidden that. Or I've, I've done something that they don't like. And so they look at me and go, Dad, you're a bad dad. That's because they just want the PlayStation controller. And they think if they manipulate me, then they will get it back. And sometimes that may or may not happen. Um, <laughs> See, I realize that community is a daily choice. For me, it's a daily choice to love my kids. And actually, it's a daily choice for my kids to love me. You know, it's a daily choice when I blow it, when I raise my temper and I lose my temper and I say things that I probably shouldn't say. It's a daily choice for them to love me. And it's the same with community. It's a daily choice not to be offended, to be annoyed. I mean, next week, I just want to say, someone is going to sit in your chair. I just want to say that. You know, you've got a special chair. Just kiss it goodbye. I, I hope you get it, but I can't promise anything because it's first in best dressed. It's really simple. You go on the website, you register, and there's a little map, and you highlight which seat you want. You go, bing, I'll have that one. And I understand that someone at some point is going to sit in your valuable chair, and you are going to be faced with a temptation to be a little bit annoyed. But community is a daily choice. It's a choice to see the best. It's a choice to accept. It's a choice to look past the short failings. It's a choice to forgive. And these are the badges that Jesus asked the early church to wear. A choice, a badge that said, it's a daily choice that I'm going to love even when I want to be offended. The second thing I learned from my kids that is the community is a daily mess. Parents, grandparents, have you ever noticed that the kids arrive home from school? And who remembers the Tasmanian Devil and Roadrunner? You know, it's kind of like the, the Tasmanian Devil. You know how he spins and he spins? It's kind of like he arrives at my house at like 4.20 in the afternoon. And, you know, like everything is, is, is in its place and it's clean. And then all craziness breaks loose in my house. And then all of a sudden the food is gone. And then there's empty plates everywhere. And there's shoes and hats and clothes and, and bags and lunch boxes. Then just kind of strewn everywhere and chaos. And then all of a sudden the kids have vanished. It's like, poof. And you're like, like they're just gone, and then they're in front of a TV or a PlayStation or whatever it might be. And, and then, remember, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the bad dad because I'm like, can I have the control? You know, yeah, okay, we remember that part. You know, a clean house is a thing of the past or it's constant fight. And what we read in the book of Acts, you know, we read in this passage something that seems so beautiful and is so beautiful. We read it and say, it seems so perfect. And it was in many ways until we turned up and we wrecked it all. Because what I find so awesome and encouraging is that by Acts chapter 15, not that even many verse chapters later, we've read a, a guy by the name of the Apostle Paul. Now, Apostle Paul goes on to write like two-thirds of the New Testament. And there's another guy, his name is Barnabas. And Barnabas is a significant leader and member of the church. And for some reason, there's a massive big fight and it's recorded in this. 
And one minute, you know, there's this kind of like, you know, we look at it where the church is amazing and it's fantastic and it's all perfect. And then, you know, kind of like messiness happens. And there's a disagreement and, and they go their separate ways. And Paul goes on to plant churches and see people come to know Jesus. And Barnabas goes on to part with Timothy and, and begin and do an incredible work for Jesus as well. And everything got just a little bit awkward and a little bit messy, and you can kind of imagine the Christmas lunches together, and, and the, you know, there's, there's, there's just a degree of messiness. See, kids make a mess. Why? Because they're kids. Because they're kids, and, and kids make mistakes, and they're a little bit messed up. The one thing that I know about you is that you're kind of like my kids. You make a mess because you're a little bit messy and a little bit messed up. And you take offense to that, it's go, that's okay, because I'm exactly the same as you are. We're all in the same boat. We all make messes and we all are a little bit messed up to some degree. But despite our mistakes, it's still better to be together, isn't it? I mean, despite the mistakes that I make and you make and we make, it's still better to be together. And the last thing, the last thing my kids told me or that have taught me, it's a daily cost. In Acts chapter 2, we see a glimpse of the early church. And a page later in Acts chapter 4, we read this in verse 32. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of the other possessions was their own and they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerful at work among them that there was no needy person among them. From time to time, those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who was in need. Community costs. Two years ago, at the start of the year, we... We're about to send a bunch of teenagers out to their, what was at that point, our very first youth camp coming out of Logan. And I was talking with Cherith, and you know, it, it's, you know, if you've ever sent your teenagers to a youth camp, it's not cheap. And I, I mean, I remember when I used to run youth camps, when I was a youth pastor, they were kind of cheap. And I'm looking at the price, and I go, oh, things have changed. And I remember sitting with Cherith and going, you know what, we need to try and work out some ways of raising some money to help some families to send some people on youth camp. So we said, what's a better way to raise some money? We're going to have a car wash. And so while we're all sitting in here, our dirty cars were getting cleaned outside. And it was $5 for a normal car and, and $10 for like a four-wheel drive or something bigger. And we're like, well, that's, you know, that's pretty reasonable. That's not too expensive. And I remember afterwards going to Cherith and go, hey, how'd you go? How much did you raise? Was it a great time? We said, yeah, we had a great time. I said, you know what happened? I said, what happened? She goes, someone came up with a little Toyota Corolla and dropped me 100 bucks. And I went to give them change and they said, no, 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 no. She said, you know what was so powerful about it? They don't have any teenagers now. None of their teenagers are going to youth camp. But they looked at me and said, we want to give this $100 to you. And I don't want you to tell anyone, so I'm not telling you at all about this, okay? But, but they gave the $100 because they went, we want to be able to send teenagers to youth camp so their lives can be changed. See, community costs church, doesn't it? 
It, it costs us to do what God has called us to do. It costs us to continue to support all of our beyond workers all around the globe, which we've got so many of. It continues to cost us to, to reach out into our local community and say, how can we serve? We want to tell you about the life-changing message of Jesus. So when we said yes to Jesus, you made a choice to put God and others first. See, salvation is a free gift, but it's a gift that requires us dying to ourselves to put God first daily and surrender our wants and desires to him. See, Luke chapter 9, 23 says this, if any of you would come after me, Jesus speaking, it's in red, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Community costs. I heard a quote and it said this. It isn't the size of your church that makes it great. It's the size of the heart of the church. See, the first century church was known for its love and generosity, and that was the badge of honor that it got to wear. It was, it was the badge that unified them. It was, it, was, it, was, it was the badge that brought them together, and yet today we still wear badges. But not all badges are like this. Some of them we can so easily, you know, some of them are like, you know, I wear the badge of fun or life or love or great times or whatever, but we also can wear badges of selfishness, of offense, of hurt, of anger. You see, community is a choice. Community is messy and community costs. You see, without my three crazy kids, our family wouldn't be our family. And you know what? Without a bunch of crazy people, our community <laughs> wouldn't be our community, would it? Our church has been called to be a light on the side of a slightly inclined, we'll call it a hill, to share the good news of Jesus. And it's better because you are here. It's better because we are here. But that doesn't always make it easy. See, I heard a story recently about a young lady by the name of Sally. And Sally was a Bible college student. And she remembers one day walking into Bible college and Walking in a class, and she, as she arrived in a class, everything was a little bit different. The seats were kind of a little bit different. There was kind of like an aisle down the middle where it was like a husband and wife were going to walk down the middle. It was kind of a, a big aisle there. And at the front of the classroom was a, was a big, uh, it was kind of like a dartboard. You know, it was, it was, on the wall was, was set up this big target. And nearby on a table was a whole lot of, a whole lot of darts. And she's like, okay, this class is going to be a little bit different. And so what she did is she sat down and Dr. Smith, who was a lecturer at that point, stood at the front of, every, of the whole class and he said, all right, kids, uh, well, it wasn't kids, uh, students, this is what we're going to do. What I want us to do this morning is I want us to grab a piece of paper that's in front of you, grab out your pen, and I want you to draw a picture of someone that you dislike, someone that you're angry with, or someone that's hurt you. 
So for a moment, you know, kind of no one wanted to do anything because I mean, this is Bible college and, you know, like, you're not supposed to think those kind of things. And eventually, they all kind of started drawing pictures. Some pictures were better than other pictures. Some pictures were written, were, were, were drawn with passion and detail. Others, not so. And the lecturer said, what I want you to do is you draw your pictures. In a few moments, we're going to get you to, to put the picture up on the, on, the, on the target, and we're going to throw darts at those pictures. And so Sally began to, you know, Sally began to draw, and she noticed next door, one of her friends began to draw a picture of a, a, a girl, a, another girl who had stolen her boyfriend. Another one of her friends began to draw a picture of a little brother, and Sally began to draw a picture of one of her former friends. She put in a whole lot of graphic and detailed pictures, you know, all the, the little tiny pimples and the bits and pieces about it, trying to make it as detailed as possible. Sally sat back at the end of the picture with this great sense of pride. That's an awesome picture. Kind of threw up her hands, went, eh, Picasso. And then they all began to line up with their bits of paper. And as they stuck their bit of paper up, people began to throw darts. And kind of some threw darts like gently and kind of like delicately. And others threw with such force that the pages kind of ripped and tore. And each picture would sit on top of the next picture. And then each dart would be thrown. And, and, and Sal, it came time for Sally to put her picture up and throw a dart at her friend who would hurt her badly. And just as she was about to pin it up, the lecturer said, Dr. Smith said, I'm sorry, we've run out of time, you're going to have to sit down. Now, Sally was really annoyed, one, because she'd done a great picture. She wanted the whole class to see, but mostly because she wanted to throw a dart at her friend that had hurt her so badly. So she came and sat down, and she was, she was annoyed, and she was frustrated at the fact that she missed out on her turn. And the lecturer walked up and began to, to peel off the pages one by one, the pictures that were ripped and torn because of the darts that, that had holes pierced in them, and, and then... He took down the target to reveal another picture that was behind. And as he ripped down the target, the picture that he revealed was the face of Jesus. The face of Jesus had tears and bits mangled off it. And, and, and you could see where, where darts had pierced the eyes of this picture of Jesus. And the lecturer, Dr. Smith, read these words from Matthew 25, verse 40. I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. It's a moment where eerie silence fell across the room. As the gravity of that verse and the, the images that they had drawn and the darts that he'd been thrown began to sink in through their head and into their heart. Jesus invites us into a better community, a new community but a community that our community needs like ours is gonna, is, is, is gonna be a choice. It's going to get messy and it's also going to cost us something. And yet I love the picture of Jesus on the cross. Huh, a choice. And it got messy. 
I mean, it was this, there's nothing about the cross that is a beautiful picture. The image of the Son of God naked hanging on a tree, pierced and bloodied and beaten because he had done nothing wrong, but I had a choice, a mess, and a cost that he willingly lovingly, caringly, kindly, graciously gave for us. So this morning, as we conclude this service, as we're talking about this new community, this better story that God's called us into, a community of love and acceptance, a community that knows it's a choice, that knows it's going to get messy and knows that there's going to be a cost attached to it. But I was preparing this all week. I just felt God kept drawing me back to this. This morning, some of you are like some of, look, I am as well. We're like Sally. We've got a fence. Maybe your fence is a, something happened in a previous church, previous relationship, a friendship. Maybe it's here. Maybe it's someone that's sitting next to you. Maybe it's someone that goes to the next service. Maybe it's someone that's not here with you this morning. And if I asked you to draw a picture this morning, you'd know whose face you would draw. Yeah, I heard someone say once say that unforgiveness is like swallowing poison and hoping the other person will die. What I feel like God wanted to do this morning is He wants to remind us with that verse. I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And this morning, it's just simply saying, without judgment and condemnation, not to make you feel bad because I know that unforgiveness in my heart causes a blockage between me and God. Unforgiveness is a sin that needs to be dealt with. And so before we go about trying to build a community, before we come back to one service and see again what God's going to do, just like He's doing right now, I sense this morning there's some forgiveness that we've got to seek. So I'm going to get the team just to begin to sing these words which are going to sound not like what I'm talking about, but they're a declaration of what and who God is. And what I want you to do this morning is just spend a few moments. Go, God, I need to confess this morning. <laughs> I need to ask forgiveness this morning. God, and, and I understand this. You know, some of the people that we need to ask forgiveness from or that we need to offer forgiveness to, they might not even be here. They may have passed away. So now you're sitting there going, awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with stuff that I can't get reconciliation with. And I want to say this morning, yes, you can. Because Jesus came to forgive and forget. He came to set you free from the bondage and the guilt and your unforgiveness. Why don't we just spend a few moments. God, these are some people that I need to forgive.
some people that have hurt me, some people that have caused offense, some people that I'm angry with, some people that I've been hurt, deeply, deeply hurt by. And I want to say to you this morning, for some of us, we're going to go, but I don't know if I really can forgive. I want you to do something for me. I want you to ask Jesus for help. Remember, he sent the Holy Spirit as a what? A helper. God, I can't and I need your help too. God, help me to forgive. Dear Jesus, we thank you that we can only offer forgiveness because you first forgave. God, we thank you this morning. God, that that you forgave me. God, you forgave us. God, we thank you this morning. Lord, there's, as there's people in our mind's eye that we can see this morning that have caused hurt and pain. God, help us to forgive just like you first forgave. God, we pray of this community. God, we know that community is a choice. God, it's, we know it's, it's messy. We know it costs. And God, hear the cries of our hearts. God, that's the community, God, that we want to be. God, we can only do it because that's what you did for us. God, you made a choice. God, knowing it was going to get messy. And you knew it was going to cost. But you did it anyway. God, we know that you can't change our story until we embrace your story. So God, this morning, change our story as we embrace your story. God, change our story. God, because there's so many other stories that need to be changed as well. So many more people that need to find that there is community, that there is hope, and that there is a life that can be found in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If we can pray for you or you would like to take a further step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to get connected with you. Please head to gatewaybaptist.com.au and click on Get Connected to let us know.